we're going to enjoy this tonight. But on Friday, we're going to have another team meeting and we're going to get locked in on next year. Hey everyone, welcome back to Protect the Rock, the Clemson podcast from The Athletic. I'm Nicole Auerbach, joined as always by Grace Rayner, who hasn't gotten much sleep. You pulled in all nighter after the Syracuse <laughs> game, haven't you? I did. I went straight to the airport. My flight was supposed to be at 8 a.m., but it was at 6 a.m., so I'm like... Did you go straight from the press box? Um, no, I did not do that. I... Um, Grabbed like an ice cream sandwich at two in the morning, went to my hotel room and washed my face and then went to the airport. Okay, that's that's pretty good. I, I've done I've done work trips like that where you cover a late night game and then have the early morning flight and I made the mistake of trying to nap for like a half hour Ooh, and then that's bold. Flight. That's dangerous. Yeah. It was it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. Um but you made it back. We're glad to have you. And if you're a little loopy, I'm extra excited about that. Just so you know. <laughs> I am a little loopy, honestly. Excellent. Um, well, let's get into the game. So Clemson goes up to Syracuse. Last time they were there, we all know what happens. Um, and this one game is not in doubt, really, at all. Um, they could have pulled away maybe a little bit earlier. But 41-6 final score over Syracuse drops to 1-2. and two. Um, you know, I think one of the obvious bright spots of the game was Amari Rogers, who, you know, we gushed about last week, but four catches, 120 yards, two touchdowns. He had that beautiful 87 yard catch and run. Um, he's just blowing my mind six months after an ACL. I just, I just can't believe it. Yeah, I honestly can't either. And just every time I see him each week, it just feels like, uh, not that I had any doubt that his knee was not ready to go because I don't think Clemson would ever put him in a situation to throw him out there before he was ready. But every single week, he's continuing to prove that his knee is totally fine. And when he broke off that crazy run on Saturday against Syracuse, I was just like, all right, this guy is back. And the offense is just different with, with him in the mix, and, and you can tell. Yeah, and I feel like Dabo Swinney is pretty excited about that. Like, I, you know, we were both on his teleconference on Sunday, and – it just it, – he can't really hide the glee in his voice when he talks about having Amari back, like, at full strength. Yeah, and with Amari, too, is he's just such a likable person in general. And Dabo has told us just how hard Amari worked. I mean, this guy, when he was in high school, like, I talked to his high school coach, and he was saying that he showed up on a Saturday one time and thought that someone was, like – doing something in the stadium and he was like what's going on and it was Amari running hills in a weighted vest like this guy's work ethic is just that sounds so painful it really does sound painful (laughs) Um, (laughs) I know things I do not want to do probably towards the top of that list but his work ethic is just so consistent and so diligent and so I think that it's just one of those situations where you like to see good things happen to good people yeah absolutely and you know, some of his plays and, and obviously some incredible catches from his receivers led to Trevor Lawrence had a career day, 395 yards passing, three touchdowns, two interceptions, and we'll get into his performance a little bit later. Um, but I really thought that the other story of the game, um, outside of Tommy DeVito just really not being a great person to be holding the reins for Syracuse right now, um, what was the story of, yet again, Clemson's defense? I mean, 187 yards total allowed to Syracuse. Only 15 rushing yards, um, which crazy. is pretty crazy. And it just, it's so funny that we thought that the defense was going to be a concern or like a nitpicking concern entering the season because it looks pretty pretty darn good. Yeah, this is just, I don't under, 
I mean, and I'm sure I know I'm guilty of this too, but it's like every year Clemson loses all this crazy defensive personnel. And then we think, how in the world are they possibly going to do it? And I just think that at this point we should just stop doubting Brent Venables because he's clearly just a wizard who's like on a different stratosphere than the rest of us. Um, But eight sacks, 15 tackles for loss, which I think Dabo said was the most that has ever happened under him as a head coach. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they just came out ready to roll. Venables was, you know, he's not a guy that's very often pleased. And so when he gets giddy, it's pretty fun to watch because you're like, you feel like you're seeing something that you don't see that often. And it's kind of a treat. And he definitely had that vibe Saturday night as it was approaching 1am. Like you could just tell he, he knew that he called a great game and, and then they executed. Yeah, it was interesting, too, because Dabo said that they could have probably had double-digit sacks, um, which is just also kind of crazy to think about, and that he doesn't, like, he, it sounds like he understands why we, out the outside, like, kind of wonder what that defense is going to look like when Venables loses people, but he knows that they have, like, really, you know, they're bringing in top recruits, they have really talented guys, they're developing them, they're just not getting game experience, so... That's kind of where we were in the preseason, right? Where we were waiting for these new defensive linemen to step in and actually see what they look like. But it sounds like within the program, they're just like so ready to go into these roles that we're just the last people to realize that. Yeah, I think that's fair. And and Venables was even saying on Saturday night, he was saying that, you know, if you were to give him the choice between a really experienced player and a really, really talented freshman, he would, of course, take the really experienced player every single time but Mm -hmm. what we're seeing now is these really really talented freshmen are becoming these experienced players because they're he's throwing them out there and they're getting some good reps and and so now you look at a guy like Tyler Davis he's a true freshman he's about to you know check both those boxes off at the same time and so it's just a monster that keeps feeding on itself yeah absolutely and so I, I feel like you know these are the two toughest games so far um, this and A&M and the defense has really been the story and because and maybe in part because we nitpick Trevor Lawrence a little bit more than anyone but um, but I sort of really felt like it was a little bit of an off night which is bizarre to say because Trevor did have a career night from the passing yards total standpoint um, but even Dabo like on the field in his postgame sideline uh, on the field interview said that it felt kind of funky and I know you wrote about this, um, and it's on our site at The Athletic, and you did a great job kind of straddling that line about, like, well, he, you know, they, they didn't need Trevor to do anything more than he did, and they had no problem winning the game. It was never in doubt. But it did sort of feel off, and I don't know exactly why it feels off, but it does feel a little bit off. And, and I mean, he's already exceeded the amount of interceptions he threw the entire 2018 season, in that, like, it, I don't know. That it, it just feels weird to me. Yeah, that's why I think that we are weirded out is because we just we don't see Trevor Lawrence turn the ball over. That's just not something that we really saw right. in 2018. And so when it's happening in 2019, and we're now at a point where, like you said, we've now seen it more in 2019 than we had in all of 2018. It's kind of like your antenna goes up a little bit. But it's also kind of how he's throwing the interceptions. Like the second one in the Syracuse game was right at a Syracuse defender, like almost as if he didn't see him. Like it was just, I I don't know. It was just a little bit jarring. And I know that we hold Trevor to a really high standard, but he did not make these mistakes. That was part of the mystique 
of Trevor Lawrence last year as a true freshman, he didn't make freshman mistakes. Right, right. And I think that's why we're all so thrown off. And this is not to say, like, I think Trevor is going to be fine, and I think nitpicking is the right word here. Like, this is a guy who is going to have a great season, and Clemson's probably going to be in the college football playoff again, and, you know, he'll he'll clean it up. But when you, when you put up the numbers that you did in 2018, I think mystique is a really good word for it. It's just like we just haven't really seen – someone be as efficient and as consistently dominant as he was a year ago as a true freshman. And so now that we're seeing him be a little bit human, it's kind of like, what, what's going on? <laughs> like this, you know, right. this, it's just, it's weird seeing him be human, which is probably a little unfair to him, but also a, a credit to just how elite of a talent he is. Here's what I think happened. Here's, here's my theory. I think that he put up some crazy numbers against Notre Dame and Alabama. And let me just run through his stat lines from those two games because they really were crazy. So Notre Dame, he was 27 of 39 for 327 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. Then goes plays Alabama and is 20 of 32, 347 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. And the mystique, the myth of Trevor Lawrence, everything – Built to this crescendo, he performs like that with everyone's eyes on him against, you know, the toughest competition in the sport. And then we have eight months of sitting around and just building this myth, right? And, yes. and it was based in fact. Like, he was phenomenal in those games. But I think we all probably put it, like, made it so large that we did expect him to be perfect, yeah, I think we did too. And I think a large part of that too was we've got NFL exec saying I would take him number one right yes. now. Um, Every Everyone everyone was very hyperbolic. Yes. And it was, it, I mean, it was phenomenal, but like it's really not fair to put all of that on a true freshman quarterback and like expect him to just start where he left off and like never throw an interception again. Right. And he's still 19 and he's still trying to figure out – sort of where this this offense is going you know he's in an offense now that they, they just have so many weapons in fact this was a question that got brought up at Syracuse on Saturday night in terms of you guys have so many weapons like does that kind of make it more difficult to to find your identity when you have a million wide receivers and Travis Etienne and one of the best quarterbacks in the country and so yeah I think that the, I mean, just the pressure, too. And I wrote about this in The Athletic. I mean, before the game, I went to go grab lunch in Syracuse. And Trevor's dad was actually at the same lunch spot that we were at. And it was a total circus around his dad. Like, this Syracuse fan came up and asked for a selfie. And as soon as the Syracuse fan asked for a selfie, every single Clemson fan in the whole place whipped out their phones. Like, it oh, was man. it was so – it was a little creepy, honestly. It's a um, lot. But, it's a lot. Yeah, like, it's a total you know, lot. Yeah, it is. And it's not even him. And, like, you know, just, like, picture that times a thousand, like, going to the mall if oh, you're yeah. Trevor Lawrence. You I know? Mean, and Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. It, 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 it's really interesting. And, like, I know that, you know, everyone's saying the right things. I mean, the, the quote that I thought was really interesting from co-offensive coordinator Jeff Scott on Saturday was, he's not going to be perfect and there's no player on our team is going to be perfect. And maybe it's the expectation because of how he finished the season last year that he would be perfect. But he's still just a second-year player. And I think that really encapsulates kind of that that tension, right, where I think 
Gracie told me that, you know, some of the Clemson fans thought you were being a little too hard on Trevor, right? Where it's this tension where he's playing fine and he's putting up crazy, you know, yardage and numbers. He's getting everyone involved. But, you know, there's a couple interceptions. There's a couple moments where it seems a little bit off. And you're kind of in this balance of, like, you know, are we expecting him to be perfect or are we expecting him to be a sophomore still growing? And it's it, it flips back and forth a little bit. It does, yeah. And I think just, like, even hearing you say the sentence that he's playing fine is just something that we didn't expect. Like, Trevor Lawrence, I don't think – I mean, he's playing really well. Like, it's not fine. But I don't know. The standard is different. Yeah, he's not your typical quarterback. So when he has typical moments of struggle, you're just kind of like, this is not – I don't know. It's just not something that that we see. So it is a it is a weird, delicate balance. And and I thought it was interesting on Saturday. He was talking about how he feels like sometimes he's doing too much. And I asked him like, okay, where is that coming from? Like, what is that a product of? And he kind of was just like, I think that I did a really good job as a freshman of kind of trusting the system, and that's something that's going to be really big for me as a sophomore. So I think he's kind of trying to feel out where he kind of fits in and just chilling out a little bit does that mean that he's like overthinking things or like I wonder what that opposite of that is yeah I don't know I don't know if he's overthinking it I don't know if I mean Clemson just has so many elite receivers by definition they're going to be taking a lot of shots downfield right um I think that he's just kind of and and I think too like an, an important part of this is we kind of forgot that he was not a full-time starter last year, you mm-hmm. know. He was still a very much work in progress in that regard too. And so Yeah, like this think, this week of last year he wasn't the starter. No, yeah. I mean, he would not have been the starter until next week week, week right? 5, right? Yeah. Two week, mm-hmm. Yeah. So this time a year ago he still has a full he, this time a year ago is when he starts to prove that this is his job. So it's just a lot for a kid who has a lot on him. And, you know, I mean, even grocery shopping, he now, I think Dan Radakovich said that Dabo's wife, Kathleen, was like, hey, you know, Publix opens at 6 a.m., you know? Um, Does he have your shopping list, though? Is he oh also my grabbing your groceries at the same time? I hope sodium? so. I hope so. He would have a great <laughs> shopping list. Because it's probably way healthier than what you get at the store. <laughs> Let's be honest. Like, he's probably got, like, Clemson nutritionist being like, all right, here is everything that's super healthy. We should probably get a copy of that grocery list. Might maybe help us in season diet that'd be pretty fun i mean i'm like really into kale and some hummus and you see know, i don't like kale but i could do like smoothies you don't like kale do... no Ugh. there's a reason that it used to be like on the side of the salad bar and not the main lettuce when you made salads now have it's you, have you baked it no yeah you gotta bake like... it when you come mm. to greenville this week i'll bake it for you and Ugh. you make like kale chips and they're really can good. you just can't you just make me like brownies or something yeah we'll do both balance okay all right yeah, okay they offset each other but yeah no listen i understand exactly what trevor's going through like not exactly like i did not personally go through this but i think it is a lot and we're we're the nitpickers and that's what everyone's doing with him right now and uh, one thing when you mentioned that like a year ago this week he wasn't even the starter I thought about that when Dabo was saying how he doesn't believe that they're a championship caliber team right now and that no one really is in September. And I think that's like the perfect example of that. They didn't even have the key quarterback to their like the the missing ingredient that they needed 
at this point last year in September. Like it, it's so true. And we're, we're just so used to j- kind of jumping ahead because we feel like Clemson and Alabama are so far ahead of everyone that we just keep kind of projecting. But he's right that teams evolve and grow throughout the season, even if they are starting like at a really high point to begin with. Yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence that Trevor was playing the best football of his life, you know, against and on the biggest stage last year with Notre Dame and Alabama. And I thought it was interesting on Saturday night, too. I mean, even Trevor himself, he said, and I quote, if you think after that, that's the best we can do. That's not. We can play so much better than that. That sounds like such a Trevor Lawrence quote. I love it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> But that's the thing is. I know that we're nitpicking, but I mean, the quarter here's the quarterback himself saying, like, we, this is nowhere near where I want to be, where this offense wants to be. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's week three. I think Dabo makes a good point. You make a really good point. Like, it's September. Maybe let's calm down a little bit. But on the other hand, if you're a Clemson fan and you follow Clemson football, this is what you talk about. It's the, it's the playoff. You know, the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the regular mm-hmm. season is not a huge hot topic right now just with the way things are, are going with Clemson and its schedule yeah and the rest of the ACC which we'll get to because that deserves its own conversation but let, let's talk about the two areas that Dabo specifically highlighted as maybe either areas that they need to improve on or kind of the areas that kind of led to that game being funky and he talked about third downs and efficiency so we can look at Trevor's numbers and see that like he could certainly be a more efficient passer. Um, I think third down is more interesting. Um, and I've got a stat that I think you're going to really like because you brought up that they're missing Hunter Renfro. And so to get into that real quick, he made 54 of his 183 career receptions on third down during his career at Clemson. And of those 54, 43 of them went for first downs. So that's 80% of the passes that he caught on third down became first downs. That's bananas. So, I mean, that is a huge hole. Like, we can make jokes about how, you know, Hunter Renfro played at Clemson for 30 years or whatever, but, like, he (laughs) was – the reason that we made those jokes is because he was always there. He was always reliable. Like it always felt like he was just going to come out and make a crazy catch and, and keep him in a game, keep him in a drive, extended drive, whatever. So, Cause he did it so many times. Yeah. I actually was talking about this very thing on Saturday night with one of my good friends on the beat, Anna Hickey. She covers Clemson for 24 seven. And we were just kind of talking about how it doesn't, feel like right now and maybe Amari can grow into this role but it doesn't really feel like right now Clemson has like a bona fide like shifty receiver in the way that Renfro was like you've got all of these trees of course you've got mm-hmm. Justin Ross who's 6'4 T Higgins is 6'4 when they put DeAndre Overton in the slot he was 6'4 but Renfro was just always there and he played so low to the ground and he was so quick that you would just look up and be like how did he even get there and I just don't feel like personnel wise they have that right now. Yeah, they need someone who looks like they don't belong on the field with the other crazy athletes (laughs) who will just sneak in there underneath everything and then just suddenly pop up in the biggest moments. Exactly. Go get the guy that looks like the manager, as Depo would say. Yeah, I miss Hunter Renfro. I do, too. College football misses him. I do, too. I really miss him a lot. I'm glad to see that he's doing well with Oakland and and getting I I keep telling all of my friends, like, you guys got to pick him up on your fantasy team because he's going to sneaky get you some points. I'm still really jealous that you 
were at his house and he asked you a question about The Bachelor. That was probably the best moment of my career. For like me. he asked, and he asked you about honest. an iconic moment of The Bachelor with the fence jump for Colton. Like that's just, oh, it's like all of your worlds colliding in one moment. He was like ordering sushi, which I love, talking about The Bachelor. <laughs> his dogs were there. It was just an all around wonderful moment. He had no idea what the fence jump was, though. It was so endearing. But you explained it to him. I tried to, yeah. I was like, Hunter, how have you not seen the commercials? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> it's basically a gift now. It was basically that beforehand, too. But yeah, that's like all of your favorite things converging. But I really do think that some of these, like some of this offness, some of this funky stuff, some of this third down stuff is probably due to adjusting to life without him. Yeah, and that's a that's a transition that I don't think we maybe talked about enough this off season. You know, we talked no, a lot about No, we just about, talked about the D-line. Exactly. We talked a ton about the D-line and re- yeah, I mean, maybe we should have given Renfro more credit, not that he was under the radar by any stretch of the imagination towards the end of his career, but that's something that we probably should have paid a little bit more attention to in terms of how are they going to fill this on third down. Well, I think we just assumed that he actually would not graduate. Yeah, we are. Honestly, seriously, <laughs> there's a number like uh, Brandon Spector is now number 13 on Clemson's team. And I swear the first day of spring practice, I looked up and saw a 13 and was like, oh, my gosh, Hunter Renfro is back. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Actually amazing. Um, so, you know, so we t- we've talked about, you know, the offense and, and these areas that they can obviously continue to grow in and I'm sure they will and they're going to have so many opportunities for the remainder of their schedule to do that because you know the ACC there appears to be an even more of a drop off from Clemson to the next best team than we thought but I do want to go back to Trevor individually for a second here because today is Monday and we dropped our first Heisman straw poll so we pull all of our writers one, two, and three votes for the Heisman. And Trevor is not the front runner. And he's not number two. And he's really not in that conversation right now. And listen, I know that this conversation is happening in September. But that's a little surprising to me. And, and as someone who voted and didn't vote for him one, two, or three, because it's based on, you know, kind of what we've seen so far and you know, Jalen Hurts has just blown me away at Oklahoma. So like oh, he's same. just clearing away number one. But um, it just felt strange. Like I felt like I should have typed his name. And then I was kind of thinking about who's had the bigger impact so far this season. And he wasn't there. But I don't know. Like I, I guess I'm just I'm just a little bit surprised like that the nitpicking stuff and kind of his stat lines and whatever have kind of taken a backseat to some of these other quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, I think that if – a month ago before Clemson opened its season, if we told any Clemson fan in America that three weeks in Trevor Lawrence was going to have as many interceptions as he does touchdowns, I don't think anyone would have believed us. And so like, yeah, I mean, and, and that's not to say that I don't think he'll be in the Heisman conversation later. Cause I, I think that obviously he's going to progress. And if there's anyone who I think can work these kinks out, I, I really do think it's Trevor Lawrence. Um, so I, I, I expect him to be, in the conversation as we get closer but yeah right now September three weeks in he he his name doesn't exactly pop off the page right now yeah and and I really even think and and you pulled these stats up but like even comparing him to Tua Tangavailoa like like not Jalen because Jalen Hurts is just he's 
breaking all sorts of records because he's on a different planet right now yeah like the the way he's running like he's such a tough dude to tackle and he's such a good runner and it's you know now the passing game everything like i just could go on and on and on and, and their schedule is going to get tougher and they're going to go up against better defenses um but i think like tua's stat line and what tua and alabama have had schedule wise is probably more comparable to clemson's i think um and like you know obviously last year like you know these are the two people who are first name well jalen now too but these are like first name household names and Tua's had a much better season to date. Um, and again, all these teams are undefeated. No one's really hit adversity. I hate that word, but I, I used it. Um, <laughs> so it's it's an interesting juxtaposition. But Tua has played better, I think, just like on paper. Yeah. I mean, you look at his stat line right now. Tua, 12 touchdowns, zero interceptions. Trevor, five touchdowns, five interceptions. Tua is completing... 76.9% of his passes, which mm. is insane. Trevor is completing 60.8%. Tua is averaging 335.7 yards per game through the air, whereas Trevor is averaging 277. So, yeah, Tua's numbers on paper, you're right. I mean, that's that's a glaring jump. That's a big um, difference. How about this? Jalen Hurts is average is completing over eighty percent of his passes right now. What is that the best <laughs> in the country? Um, it's got to be. I mean, I would I would think among people who've had. Let me check this. It's oh, about, I'm looking at among, it right now. Joe Burrow, eighty three point three. Wow, and he's got the best win in the country to date. He's, you know, that's someone who can get in Heisman race. Like seriously, you know, if LSU has a season like they're capable of, and if they have some crazy finish and crazy game against Alabama and that spotlight like it's gonna be really fascinating I think there's like and and I voted for Jonathan Taylor in my uh second or third place vote like I I think it's gonna be an interesting Heisman race it's gonna be more interesting than last year where we all assumed it was one guy until the final week of the season and then we all assumed it was the other guy and Kyler and that's what happened I think it's gonna be really interesting there's just so many names too that are legitimate I mean there's probably there's probably five or six people right now you could make a, a decent argument for. Here, here's one. Travis Etienne. Definitely. Is, like, is he a, like, I don't even know the word. Like, is he maybe more of a Heisman contender than Trevor right now? I don't know. That's, that, even just hearing that out loud is so but It weird sounds to... weird. I, like, it sounded weird to say. But I, I mean... actually think, I think they both, like, we have seen when teams have had sent two players as finalists to New York. I think that is possible. I think – oh, I definitely think it's possible because I think both of them are only going to continue to get better. And once Trevor sort of works out these kinks and, and I guess starts to trust his system a little more, I think that we're going to see his numbers get and, – and don't get me wrong. I mean, we were just talking about this. His numbers are not bad. Right. He, he still had crazy numbers Saturday against Syracuse, but – it's it just is, the interceptions. Once he like yes, exactly. Once he settles down a little off. bit, I think he'll be fine. Yeah, and and we've talked about this on the pod before, but like Trevor adding the dimension of kind of scrambling a little bit, you know, using his legs, and then Etienne adding the pass catching and what he's able to do there. Like those are the things that are going to take them to that next level. So I would not be terribly surprised if both of them end up in New York when no, all is said. No, I done. wouldn't either. I would not either. By really any stretch of the imagination. I think that's perfectly reasonable to ultimately happen. 
Yeah, and um, I, I kind of think that that's probably it for contenders in the ACC after this past weekend of what I saw from some of these other teams. Like, there are talented players. Like, Bryce Perkins is a great player at Virginia. Um, but, like, I had th- thought, like, maybe a dark horse, like a guy like A.J. Dillon. I just – that Boston College team is not going to put him in position to do that. You you can't lose to Kansas in the way that they lost to Kansas. Right. And be in that mix. Let's go through the ACC right now real quick because I feel like it was a dominant storyline this weekend how weak the league is outside of Clemson and basically how lucky they are that Clemson's so good and able to be like, we're a defending national champ, so people aren't really paying attention to the lack of depth behind them. Um, But Kansas beats Boston College 48-24. This is Kansas's first Power 5 win on the road since October 2008. Oh my gosh! So these these guys would have been maybe ten years old, right? Twitter didn't like I didn't have a Twitter back then. I don't think Twitter existed in two thousand and eight, did it? It might have been like maybe just people sharing your lunch updates. Like it was in its infancy. Instagram didn't exist. There's so many things that didn't exist. The Charlotte football program did not exist. Oh my gosh, Kansas! That is wild. BBC, well, is at FBS. Okay, so then let's ignore Clemson for a second. So then Pitt loses Penn State. That game was actually pretty good, and Pitt kind of blew it at the end um, by going for a field goal down seven and then missing the field goal, which was probably the most deserved doink in the history of college football. (laughs) Doink. Um, I love that word. They end up losing to Penn State. So then you've got Virginia nearly loses to Florida State at the end of the game. And Florida State, as we know, not a very good team. And a team that is just so struggling in the fourth quarter. 21 points for Virginia in the fourth quarter alone to come back and win that game. Uh, NC State loses to West Virginia. A West that Virginia was surprising that to me. No one was impressed with through two weeks. 44-27, so not even close. Virginia Tech trails Furman 14-3 at the half and eventually wins by a touchdown. One score game. <laughs> Jeez. Um, and that's not even the worst of it. No, nope. Um, so then Miami wins handily. Duke wins handily. Louisville beats Western Kentucky by two scores. Okay. Then Georgia Tech goes <laughs> Then we go on loses, down to Atlanta. Goes and loses at home to the Citadel, 27-24. And our colleague Tori wrote a great piece because it's very ironic, or it just adds a second layer to the story, that it was an option team in the first year in the post-Paul Johnson era. But it was a no good, very bad day for the ACC. Like, you, the whole weekend, because the BC Kansas result was Friday night. And to me, I don't necessarily know who the second best team in the ACC is behind Clemson. I think it's that, that huge a drop. And then yeah. it's probably Virginia, I think. I think. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because. I know last year as Clemson was heading into the playoff, everyone started kind of laughing when Dabo was saying that Clemson's on the rest of y'all bus and it's Alabama and the rest of y'all, but it's really Clemson and the rest of y'all at this point. And it's like, I don't know where the rest of y'all are. I don't even know if you boarded the bus. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so, it's perplexing because even teams that we've kind of seen take some steps like a Syracuse, right? Um, that's that's a team that goes and loses badly to Maryland. And Maryland turns around and then loses to Temple. And, like, that's a team that's clearly not going to sustain, like, at a 10-win clip this season. 
Like they, they there's going to be a drop off. They got to reload, rework some things. And you know, we it's just it, it's like these other teams are having like flash in the pan seasons. Like I, I love the coastal, I really do. But the fact that if Virginia wins, it's a seventh different division winner in seven years, and every single team has done it. That's not necessarily a sign of like everyone's elevating. That's sure. a sign of everyone is kind of staying around the same level of mediocrity. Yeah. I mean, it's fun and zany and wacky to see what in the world is going on in the Coastal today, but there's no sense of consistency. Whereas in the or, Atlantic, or like that's a all real there is. contender that could sure. like challenge Clemson in the title game. Right. Last year's Pitt. I mean, right. And it was just sort of like, okay, who's going to be the sacrificial lamb? And not, pretty and, much and but that's how it feels because like the, the 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 spreads on these games and the results like they have not been challenged and it you know when florida state used to be that i mean there was the year when lamar jackson was at louisville you had three teams in the atlantic that were legitimately challenging each other in that sure way. that was a fun year yeah it was a fun year and and then florida state drops off and louisville's in a rebuild now um and it's just it's it's kind of bizarre to to see this and you know, it's it's the same question, right? Like, would you rather have depth at the top of your league and top in the middle? Like, the Big Ten and the SEC can say, like, hey, we're deeper. We could we have a you know a claim to be like we're the best conference because you know one through four are all really good, and the middle pack of the teams you know can do some damage and this and that. And it's still easier from a playoff perspective to just be like in Clemson's shoes here and be more likely to go undefeated. But I don't think that if you're a conference commissioner or a fan. Like, I think you would rather have like a really deep roster of teams that are all really good, that are all pushing each other and are competitive and, and not just kind of, all right, I guess pencil them in for, you know, December, whatever the day is for the ACC title game. I mean, the fact too, that it definitely in the past few years, we'll see kind of how it ends up this year, but that it's harder to win the ACC Atlantic than it is to win the ACC championship game. That's just kind of a, a weird thing to well this actually goes to my thinking of we should abolish divisions i honestly would love that i think i think think that a lot of these mega conferences should consider it and i i've i've made this case to various commissioners and they're not listening to me but i just think you should have your two best teams play each other in the title game yeah i i mean so i would yeah i would i would be all into that i also hot take actually probably not even that hot of a take Sometimes I really wish Clemson was in the SEC. Okay. Like I'm, just, I'm just getting a little bored. <laughs> Grace. Like, well, no. Let me take that back. I'm not bored covering the beat. That is not. No, what you I'm just. Here. It would be. It would. It would definitely be probably more interesting on a week in week out basis. Although exactly. I will say, Clemson's record against the SEC it's is still, a really yeah. fun. Like it's just kind of like elbowing that whole league right now that they're not a member. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I definitely think that I think that Clemson and, and Dabo said this all the time. Like if Clemson were to be in the SEC, they wouldn't become a bad team. I still think Clemson would be one of the SEC's most dominant teams. I just think it would be way more fun each week to see them go on toe to toe with Jimbo or Saban or Kirby or, you know, what have you then. OK, who's the poor coastal people that have to, you know, give it a whack this week yeah no I agree I agree I mean and we're just gonna have to keep waiting you know for Clemson to you know have a challenger in the league um and and listen like these teams are gonna get better 
I think Miami's going to get significantly better throughout the year. I think Virginia is is probably still the you know the favorite in the coastal. It is just funny because I tweeted Friday night after the BC game. I said, you know, I'm serious, serious question. Who is the second best team in the ACC? And I cannot tell you how many people responded. Clemson's second string. Honestly, I believe that. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's possible. It's possible um, because of just how much talent they have and they're recruiting and the, they're in this in the system already. It's kind of crazy. but That is crazy. <sighs> but, uh, yeah. We, I'd we'll, watch that. Yeah, we'll we'll fix the ACC and scheduling and all this stuff um, <laughs> at another at another later date. Um, but before we go, it's Monday, so we have to give out our roses to the player, person, thing, whatever um, that we think earned it from the weekend. So, Grace, who would you like to give your rose to? I'm gonna go. I know it's obvious, but I'm gonna go Venables just because it seems like every week he pulls something out of his hat. And every week, they are just so consistently dominant, even when they had so many questions. And I thought it was funny tonight on, or excuse me, on Sunday night on Dabo's teleconference, when he was saying that, I think someone asked him about the defense and Venables, and he was like, you'll just have to wait and see. Like, it's a week-to-week basis around here. Like, you just, I don't know. I I give a rose to Brent Venables' brain, because I, I would like to meet it, or, you know, like, know more about it. Um, okay, I will give my rose. Last week, we gave a rose to Amari Rogers, so I'm not going to pick him. I'm going to give it to T. Higgins because there That's a are, good choice. There are not that many. Like, they have to share, right? Because they have this incredible collection of receivers. And sometimes one or two get overshadowed by the other one, or sometimes one gets more targets than the other. But his performance against Syracuse was really good highlight worthy he made some incredible catches no touchdowns so he gets a rose instead and I honestly feel like it's more valuable than a touchdown honestly he seriously what an honor for T like when you're in Clemson this week maybe we can relay that information to him I would love I would love to hear him um react to that so we might have to do that we might have to do that (laughs) and maybe we can give an honorary rose to Hunter Renfro because he did make a bachelor reference to the one time so I feel like that can be our honorary rose for the day always you know what he gets one every week okay that's true (laughs) we can just like we'll buy the dozen roses right now we'll just hand them out one (laughs) each week for Hunter Renfro because we miss him Uh, Well, that's it for this episode of Protect the Rock, the Clemson podcast from The Athletic. I'm Nicole Auerbach. She's Grace Rayner. And we will be back for a bonus episode on Thursday for Athletic subscribers only. But until then, you can rate, review us, share us with your friends, and we will talk to you soon. Hey there, listeners. We are excited to share some big news. Our team here at The Athletic and our friends at Wondery have just launched a brand new daily sports show called The Lead that we know you're going to love. The Lead is the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage to the hometown. With the help of The Athletic's more than 400 sports writers and editors, co-hosts Kavitha Davidson and Anders Kelto will bring you sports news up close and personal each weekday morning. You're about to hear a preview of The Lead. Subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now so you don't miss an episode. There's also a link in the episode notes that will take you there. And check out theathletic.com slash the lead to read stories featured on the lead.
You can follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. That's the buzzer. Oh, he knocks it down. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guy. From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you kidding? I have never seen anything like that. The lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. The lead. Sports up close. Hey, hey, I need some more of that.